Welcome to the Happy Customer Channel. On this week's episode, we sit down with Austin Crines, the CEO and founder of Atomics Logistics, a third-party logistics provider. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Buena Vista Creative, Miami's premier digital marketing agency. Visit BuenaVistaCreative.com for more info on how Buena Vista can help your business increase revenue and create the brand and digital presence it deserves video and podcast production, web and app development, search engine and social media marketing, logo creation, outdoor, print, swag, and more. Visit BuenaVistaCreative.com to learn more. Welcome again today to the Happy Customer Channel. Joining us is Austin Crines. He focuses on a 3PL fulfillment using, he's a tech operator using customer need and innovation to move things to the next level. So. Would you like to say today, say hello to us, Austin? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, perfect. And, and thanks again for uh, for having me on. Really looking forward to, to our discussion today. Um, so I'm the founder and CEO of Atomics Logistics. I started this company um, back in 2020. And uh, as you mentioned, we focus on um, supply chain and helping um, e-commerce brands that are scaling uh, to manage their supply chain. They'll use this as an outsourced uh, partner. And uh, I think we really try to focus on both the customer experience and technology and weaving those um, two facets of, of our business together and, and really try to be a, a forward thinking, um, innovative partner. And um, yeah. And I guess this is something that not everybody uses. Your end consumer is more of a, a would it be a mid-size, large size or a small business? Who do you approach? Yeah, so uh, we focus on brands roughly between um, annual revenue of $1 million up to 30 to $40 million. And to win them over is the main focus price or what do you think is the main driver? Yeah, our, our space is really interesting um, because brands will have different needs. And I think mm-hmm. for us, like our essence of why we exist is, is finding um, the, the pain points for those clients specifically and how we adapt our model around what they're looking for. So um, okay. there's been scenarios of specific functions of whether um, it's returns that is maybe not a great experience of how they're handling it today that will walk them through our, our processes. And if they need a custom process or an SOP that is uh, 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 directly made for them as a brand. Um, But when we think of um, our core, um, it's really um, my background and and, uh, our COO's background is from the e-commerce space. So approaching um, our brands and our partnerships, similarly to how direct consumer brands focus on the value of their end customers, of like that lifetime value, we try to really apply that into the B2B and SaaS space, which we don't think is is always done at, at, at the same level. Um, and so that goes to like the, the little things of how we communicate, how quickly we respond. Um, and that's like on one hand, and, and the second is um, on the software side. So really it's a balance of those two sides that I think um, when I evaluated the market, I simplified it, it's kind of barbell shaped. So on one hand, we have these uh, startups that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars that do some great things on the tech side, but tend to lack that partnership, that relationship, that flexibility that the other side of the market tends to have, which are those your mom and pop 3PLs, but they tend to lack the technology side. And that's where my family um, has operated like the past uh, 25 years in the uh, the last mile space. And again, their, their tech stack, I always joke with them. I'm like, this is, this isn't modern. This is not uh, aligned with us, but, um, they've worked with companies for 10, 20 years. And that 
fundamentally comes down to that partnership, that, that value there. And so we really wanted to bring those two sides together and uh, scale a model that focuses on those two and bringing them like a balance. Uh, and okay. yeah. You mentioned flexibility. So what is one thing that would create the flexibility for a mom and shop, mom and pop shop or a shop that may not be so focused on the technology front? Yeah, so there's an example of a, a biotech company that raised $40 million that uh, did a, a quote uh, process at 40, 50 other 3PLs, and they couldn't find one that, that was able to support them. And um, wow. we were able to develop um, processes for them. So one of their needs was sending us heat sealing machines, so very specific equipment that they needed for it. Um, the second was it's a DNA testing for dogs. So um, in order to have uh, the accuracy of when they swab it and then send it back to us, and then we accurately send it into the lab, we had to create this uh, custom like barcode scanning mechanism. So it's little things like that of when it's ever like unique, we like wow. customizing those processes um, um, to them. And um, that's interesting when we think about scaling of how do we scale that flexibility, but when we have it so like kind of driven into like our core and foundation, um, it's easy to do that for a brand and then uh, do it for another one as we allocate like warehouse space, team members in our warehouse directly to, to them so they know uh, it's like that's what account they manage and that's it's like, like their more, brand. more synergy. Yeah. So it's not totally like outsourced like, hey, we'll do it and you get out of the way, but it's more of a partnership, would you say? 100%. And when you think about uh, fundamentally the logistics in 3PL um, industry, it is very focused on efficiency of picking and packing, hitting certain um, metrics of how many units orders you process. Now, um, that is important. We think about that, but I think it, it, it traditionally has been an overemphasis on that, where uh, if you were a brand coming to me, I would then tell you, hey, this is our model you have to have your processes this way. And yeah. that's, there's nothing like necessarily wrong with that. I just think when I think about the future of our industry and, and what these brands um, want and need, whether it's custom packaging or these things, that there has to be a balance of the efficiency with the experience. And that is like those two uh, like sides to it of, hey, how do we remain efficient, profitable, right margins, while also taking care of our customers on that experience side of what they need because there is um, the fundamental goal of aligning our interests of what they want, what we want. And, and if you're able to package that properly, and again, that's what we're still figuring it out. I mean, we're, we're three years into it and I think we've had tremendous like growth, um, but we have a long ways to go. But I think that's what we're all uh, focused on is, is that alignment of both the brand with the 3PL. Okay. That makes sense. And, and would most of these, individuals or the companies, I guess, that are looking at utilizing your services, are they usually quite experienced in what they're looking for and they have an exact idea what they need? Or for the most part, do you find people who have no idea and have unrealistic expectations? Everywhere on the spectrum. <laughs> like I could give you direct, uh, I won't give direct names, but I could tell you right now um, of our current portfolio of brands of mm -hmm. anywhere on the spectrum. Like on one hand of of a client that uh, didn't understand uh, early on uh, what SKUs were. SKU is like a, mm. a foundational uh, thing of tracking inventory. And again, it's nothing against them because the reality to that is, hey, we can work well with that. I mean, we're the knowledge base, the experts on that. We're, um, we'll guide them through that because the reality is, is they were a fast growing brand because they knew sales and marketing. They had a large TikTok following. They were great on that side. And we said, hey, 
great. Well, what you have to know some of this, we got to teach you a little bit. You got to work with this a little bit, but at the end of the day, you focus on that. Like that's, that's what energizes you. That's what like you are passionate about and great at, and we'll take care of that back end. On the other end of the spectrum, we have these brands that will hop on an uh, introductory call with us that will say, hey, here, here are 10 things that we need. Can you, can you do that? We understand that they really um, know what they're looking for. And it, they have clear expectations of, of what they like, what they don't like. And it's also great on our end because we can say, hey, that, that aligns with us. Or actually, hey, we, we, we can't do this. Or maybe we're not the right partner for that. So we really like being very transparent with our brands of, hey, what are our capabilities? What are they not? What are we great at? What are you going to get out of this? Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen some crazy stuff or interesting stories or something that's funny. Is there any secrets that you can, maybe without dropping names or something, a story that hasn't been commonly heard that you can share with us? Um, could you add, uh, elaborate a, a little more on it? <laughs> and and what, what kind of a story? Because I'm, I'm happy to. Anything, because I know usually when you work in a certain space, you get you did mention the SKUs as one where someone I completely agree with outsourcing. That's a nice thing about the relationship with an outsourcing company. You focus on your core expertise and your core knowledge, and then you let the outsourcer focus on theirs, whether it's call centers, whether it's um, certain production steps of the production line or doing logistics, which I, I think is phenomenal that you've uh, been able to explain that and help others understand it and grow in your space doing it. And when you get more comfortable and you deal with more clients, sometimes things happen <laughs> or you see certain things. I, I can't even think of an example one, but or an example for logistics, but what's something you've heard or you've seen, whether in your company or another one that you found was interesting or funny that people not in the space might enjoy? Oh, um, it's a, it, it's a good question. Um, I, I like to, uh, yeah, keep things positive. I had some negative, uh, things cause it's, it's interesting in, in, in our, uh, supply chain, uh, space. Someone was talking to me the other day about, uh, how it's, um, not necessarily an underappreciated, but partly like uh, unrewarding, like in a way. And, and it was interesting for me to hear that because I, I don't know, I, I kind of fundamentally look at it a, a, a bit different. Um, I, I think um, what we focus on is is our culture and, and what we do here. And whether it's a, a every Friday that, that we have lunch uh, together with our team, I think uh, we try to uh, create an atmosphere um, around anything that we do to, to, to be enjoyable. Uh, uh, a, a great story, like on the, on the cultural side, like at least for our team is, um, Earlier this year in January, I um, we were talking in our internal Slack uh, channel with our team, and we were thinking about team building activities like throughout the year. And I was like, "Hey, this might be a, a crazy idea. I'm not sure if anyone's interested in this, but um, let's go rent an in, in Airbnb and, and spend a, a weekend together. Um, and yeah, spend a weekend together, uh, do some like meetings, like you're productive, but also just uh, enjoy like each other's presence and." Uh, have some beers and and do that and and uh, people jumped on it and uh, I don't know it was maybe a little surprising I, I don't know what uh, everyone's like level of comfort is but I think it was awesome that uh, we did that back on February 25th and um, it was awesome to 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 see to to be able to uh, have our team in in other environments and to really like. I don't know, create a, a family-like culture in a way that, hey, we know we, that we got each other's back. So I'm not sure if that was exactly uh, where you're going with that. I'll think of some other examples, but okay. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, and that, I think that's critical, um, kind of what you're mentioning is the, the roots. You spend so much time with people who you work with that lots of times you could almost, you should almost consider them family. And you have a lot more fun with family when you do activities and you enjoy time, not just working all the time. So that's awesome that you guys focus on what's important to the team as a whole. Um, from what I understand as well, you guys haven't quite yet raised funds. It's been something that's been bootstrapped, which is awesome because you see all these startups that start from an idea. It's, it's not even anything. They, they haven't generated any sales, any revenue. They haven't even really <laughs> created a website and they've got $100 million behind them and, it's, and then they fail and it's like, yeah, they're not really entrepreneurs <laughs> that have proven themselves. So I think it's phenomenal that you guys are proving yourselves. And I guess what is the main reason that you're delaying, if, if you might, that may not be the best word choice, but what's the reason why you haven't been chasing funding? Yeah, I, I, I think um, part of it goes back to uh, just my background in, in general. I, I was fortunate. Uh, I grew up in the, in the Midwest, in the greater Milwaukee area. I was fortunate to get a scholarship to uh, play lacrosse in boarding school for two years in high school and then go on to play in college um, and be exposed to just uh, a greater network of people and then work in finance in, in New York. But um, for me growing up, I never knew what venture capital was. I, I barely was really aware of like other schools that were in the Ivy League besides like Yale and, and Harvard. And um, I was around my, my, my father's company who quote unquote has bootstrapped it their entire life. And, and we um, had a yeah, a middle class uh, family and, and we had everything that we needed. And, and so when I, I've always been attracted to entrepreneurial things. I, I did start in finance because I wasn't really re sure of what idea I really wanted to go all in on and, and commit to. And when I started this back in August of, of 2020, um, I started out of my dad's warehouse. They're a transportation company and had a few hundred extra square feet in an office and a spare office. And um, then it's like, hey, I had $50,000 in the bank that I've uh, saved up um, through my early career. And that's what went into to starting this. And um, my dad is uh, even someone that is called more old school. But um, even though I'm a son, like, hey, prove prove what you're doing here. I mean, he thought I was even crazy um, in a way. He's always going to support me. But he says, hey, go work for an experience 3PL, understand the ins and outs. And I think um, that is the, the kind of traditional thought to it. And he's not wrong in some areas. But I think about how we are trying to innovate and be different, that we're taking some risk in areas that if I did get experience at, at a traditional firm, I wouldn't ever think about this because you, you don't always expand like what is capable or possible. And uh, it was kind of crazy early on of what, what we're doing, but as we've like formalized the, the plan and, and uh, our clients really understand what we're about, uh, we start to see. So early on, it was just, Hey, that's, that's how you start a business. And I've thought about it more over the past uh, few months uh, to half a year. And I, I, I'm a strong believer that, that most businesses should be as lean or bootstrapped as possible in, in the early in the early stage of the company. So you can define early stage differently, whether that's a million in revenue or depends on, on your vertical. But um, because you with uh, limited resources and a discipline and, and being capital efficient, you really learn of, hey, how do you market? How do you how do you sell? How do you um, build operations? Um, and then when you have a greater idea of that by working with like necessities, um, 
when you do have when you do raise money later whether that's a hundred thousand dollars or a few million dollars that um you have a better you're not testing really anymore with large sums of money you have a a, a decent idea and a degree of confidence of hey where you're going to invest in and what that return is going to be and mm-hmm. um on the other side of the spectrum though of, like you're saying of, of the idea and people raising a hundred million dollars i actually like from a greater economy perspective, those type of, of companies are necessary. Like those uh, venture capital firms that support that, whether it's going to be the next Uber or the next other companies, is you have those there. But but that is uh, what we all see in the media and in the news, and um, that's not the the reality of of uh, the percentage of small businesses that are like the core of our economy and and, and jobs. I forget what the percentage is. So I think. Um, instead of like that allure of, oh, using the metric of how much money you've raised to, to give validation of, of what you're doing. Um, I, I don't think it, 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 it needs to be there. And it, it's this early stage of a company. I ironically like love it. Like I would sleep at the warehouse, like building this. And I just, sports were an important piece of my life. And, and I just dedicate uh, what I commit to and put everything in it. And I was fortunate that we made the right decisions. I hired the right people. We focus on the right clients that we're starting to realize a little success. We have a long way to go, um, but it's not like we don't want to raise money. I mean, I'll, I'll have a thought every other day where it's like, hey, if I had an extra $100,000 or $500,000 of, of, of what we could really do here. Um, but I, I think like day one for me, my goal was to let me just prove whether to myself or to anything that if I have the capability to start a company. And nice. um, we kind of got through that. And then the second phase now, we used an arbitrary number as a metric, but we said, hey, let's get a 10 million in, in ARR. And then um, through that process, we'll have a, a good idea of what is our core business model? What do we want to scale? And how we want to scale that? So it, we can go in two different directions as we get to that point near the end of this year, which we, based on like our uh, projections now, um, we're going to be really close to that and hopefully we hit it, uh, but we'll see by the end of this year. But um, we'll basically look at it and say, hey, uh, do we want to run this company for 10 years, maybe start some other companies and and just uh, run this as bootstrapped or as lean? Or do we say, hey, there's there's an opportunity here where we can raise five, 10, 15 million dollars and say, hey, here's our product. Here's our plan. This is what we want to do. Um, and this is what we've done with uh, what we've had and, and i think with with me fundamentally it's finding the right partners the same way i mm-hmm. think about our customers is the same way i think about anyone related to our business whether that's employees whether that's investors etc because the second that, that we do bring on money um at the end of the day there is going to be a liquidation um at, at mm-hmm. some point whether that's a that whether that's a sale whether that's public down the line um that like we take in a first dollar that that is like uh has to be planned out in a way um so i i think we just want to um really be thoughtful of how we approach it of, of who we work with and i think if if we're going to the the table and saying instead of like out of need of like oh yeah we're going to go under in a few months if, if we don't take on money um that if we come and say hey here's an opportunity this is what we've done and we want to scale this that uh, we think we'll, we'll be at a, a solid position because we we as a team in like my core like early like senior managers um, are, are really good and, and really awesome people. And we've uh, put a ton of time into it and we want to continue to do that. So we want to find the right partners yeah. that, that value that. 
Oh, that's awesome. I, I, I like so some of the principles that you mentioned a lot of times I, I would say are focused on a traditional business model and many times when people are going the startup route or the the more tech-based route they ignore or maybe neglect I wouldn't say all of them but this sometimes can be the tendency where they go on just coming up with an idea and focusing on certain metrics that may not be overall uh, a true strength for the business so it's cool that you do have some of these basic components on making a very strong established business um, and I don't know if it would be detrimental for some investors who focus on purely tech plays that they may be like, no, you're growing too slow, because I know some of them say that. They really want to see that hyper growth, and if you're not doing 10x every single year, they they complain. <laughs> so it, it is interesting how you're doing it, and um, hopefully it work. You know, I, I think it will work great um, with the right investors on it. What would you say would be potential with or, or potential challenge with the people or potential investors who are looking at you and say, hey, you know, you're moving slow like a traditional business. We want it really to be a more of a, a tech startup based business at a faster pace. How would you address that concern with those type of investors? So um, challenge. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's a great question. And, and let me just give a quick story anecdote on this because um, I'm going through the, the process of speaking with in, in investors um, across the spectrum at traditional uh, VC firms to family offices, et cetera. I heard a great um, anecdote from, um, uh, from one of the investors at a, a firm on the, on the East Coast that um, told me a, a, about a, a story um, about a consumer brand a product that, that raised capital. And um, if, uh, for example, there was a scenario that something went down um, at the manufacturing plant that was realized because the brand was sending um, bad product or that there was something like a little wrong with that. If you're um, on that kind of founder mentality of like uh, what I would do in that situation is you're stopping what you're doing, stopping shipments, and you're flying out to China or wherever your manufacturer is to get that right, to, to fix that. Because send, because at your core, that's not who you are. What you do is to, to deliver a, a a product that is not like at the quality that, that you know it is and, and, and so it is. But there's investors that are like, what? We're, we, we have to show 10, 20% month over month growth. Like that's, that's, that's yeah. fine. Let's, we, we're not shutting off the manufacturer. You can fly out there and try to figure it out, but we, everything else is going to keep going up. And, and I think about that and um, for, and, and, and for me, and, and, and that's just ultimately where, where like, you got to find that um, alignment of, of who are you bringing on, like, at the core, like, because when you think about actually the long-term value of what's going on there, if you evaluate, hey, you're sending this product that isn't great and all these returns and these, like, bad reviews and things, like, when you think about that true essence of that brand that you're building there, like, that lifetime value of those customers, of, of that side to it, that's that's where that value creation is so instead of thinking about that short term hey you gotta you gotta show this metric month over month growth etc versus hey this we, we're gonna lose five hundred thousand dollars of revenue but long term this is what we got to do and this is how we communicate it and this is how we approach that strategy so i think um and i know that was a bit of a tangent from your question and so go, going back um to your question like though, it, though. <laughs> is 
Yeah, and, and, and I think it was just important. It was eye-opening for me to actually hear that story from an investor too. And I was like, hey, I, I, I like you. Like, I, I like how you think. Um, and um, um, because they were saying that, that they approach it a little differently because they came from the entrepreneurship side. And I don't know if he's using it as a tactic to kind of sell me and understand like what I like, but I don't think he knew too much about me. And to hear that, I was like, oh. And I even told him that. I was like, this is... Uh, I don't know, refreshing in a way to hear. But um, and I going... think that's why it's critical to have the right partnerships because a lot of times when people bring in investors, they're like, who's going to give me the biggest uh, valuation or proof to be the signal so that way I can get things moving? And at that point, it they get the money, but then they're getting hassled and the people don't really understand what the business is about. So that's really good that you're looking for the right partners. Yeah. Let me let me answer your question uh, directly yeah. here. So if... Um, um, to, to make it clear, I want to grow as fast as we possibly can. Now, we have to do it sustainably. So mm -hmm. if someone came to us and said, hey, you're growing like not fast enough, then it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. That's, that's, we're not going to hit your targets of what you want in, ten, in like uh, 10xing in, in two years or, or whatever their expectations would be. Um, because the sustainability piece to it is important is because the second that we're starting to grow faster and faster, if that's leading to poor um, execution and the customer experience in that side, and guess what? We're going we're gonna to slow that down because we want to get that foundation still built. We're still going to um, grow as quickly and manageably as we can, but we're not going to grow at all costs. We're not just going to say, hey, that's all right. Let's just keep churning 10% of our customers. Like, that's, that's not what we necessarily believe in. Um, now, you're, the second piece of the question, it was good because that's what we think about, is the SaaS component. And it's really interesting. We've been building a proprietary software to make our experience of managing our warehouse easier, so our warehouse management system, but then also making the, the app that our brands use super modern, super intuitive, and uh, just easy to manage. I would always joke that uh, my mom was around our warehouse quite a bit when we were building this company. And I was like, I want my mom to be able to either be a brand that's working with us. She knows how to create an order because we know our teams that we're working with are gonna have customer service team members in here, or these people that, uh, a lot of slowness and inefficiencies of just understanding the software piece um, is uh, it makes it more like time consuming. So we said, hey, let's make this as intuitive, as easy as possible. And then same thing for the warehouse within us. And um, we're building uh, from the architecture, from the core base of our technology, of our APIs, et cetera, that we will be able to fairly easily turn this into a SaaS model. So uh, if brands wanted to manage their own warehouse, ship their own product, we have created this lightweight, easy WMS system. And for that, um, that is something we think about. And there, that's going to be a revenue stream for us. And um, if an investor said, hey, this is what we want to invest in, I actually, I still have more work on my end to beta test. I have a thesis that there is this need in the market of what tools are out there and what isn't. And I already start talking to brands like about this, but I would want more validation around um, kind of testing it to really say, hey, if we got $5 million around the SaaS product, then hey, we can return $20 million from this in a year, two years. But mm -hmm. again, when I try to make educated decisions and kind of quote unquote, go all in and raise money around that, I need to validate that thesis basically more um, to really ensure that I'm right there. Because ultimately when you come to our business, it's like, it's, it's just culturally how we think. Like, I don't care whose idea it is for a, a new product, a new feature, a new process in our warehouse. It's like, if it's right, that's great. Like, it's not like, hey, I had this grand idea a few years ago and it's, <laughs> it's my ego that's on the table and it has to be my way. It's like, 
no. Like, let's talk through the reasons. Like, what are the reason-based um, facts behind making decisions and ideas? And how do we be formidable to a market, to our clients, to investors that ultimately aligns? Because, hey, we want to we be successful. We want to make money. We, we want to hit these targets. Um, let's, let's give the market what it wants, whether that's, that's our idea. And, and I think that's where it goes back to like the early stage of bootstrapping um, a company with a lean amount of resources is um, you figure out, especially if you have a, a product that isn't uh, like, if you're kind of band-aid hacking it together um, on the back end, that if people are buying it, hey, that's, that's validation that there's a lot of need out there for what you're building towards. And so if you are able to, hey, generate revenue, continue to grow, and they want that, then that's just more validation that, hey, when you improve this, when you continue to make more money or even raise money, that they're really going to want it. Um, and because uh, it's just going to be that much better. Um, and so if you have validation around that, then I think uh, – yeah, I'm, I'm very biased as well, uh, and not necessarily <laughs> saying I'm I right. So. Yeah, and, and I'm sure I'm sure there's there's counter and things. Um, it's also like I've never been in like the investor venture like capital like deep into the community where it's like, hey, I can go raise a few million dollars like that easily. Um, so that's also probably part of like why like we didn't early. Like I just wasn't really exposed. You're to busy it. working, right? And that's what happens <laughs> a lot of times. Like there's a lot of these businesses that have great concepts, great structure, great leadership. Um, I, I did read that you have Patrick Day on your team as well. So you've got some good people working with you. And uh, a lot of times when you're you're so busy working, a lot of times you're not looking for, for money or other things because you're just focusing on getting the business to grow or you're, you're coming up with new technologies, new innovations that help you move to the next level. Um, I do like how you were mentioning about that, the tool, uh, w, did you say WPS? I, I, uh, w, WMS, so it stands WMS. for Warehouse Management System. There we go, WMS, so the WMS Warehouse Management System. Um, with that, I know sometimes when technologies are created, it will either, if you try to serve a large market or try to accommodate everybody, it takes so long to come up with the right platform because it has to look at so many variables or if you want to launch quickly and and have a platform that works effectively, then you got to narrow down many times to a certain type of clientele or market segment. Is that some things that you're encountering while working on your WMS, or can you tell us some in some learnings that you've gone through? One hundred percent. With with our industry here, there is a fundamental difference of what the needs are from a brand perspective, from uh, brand launching to call it between five, 10, I'd, I'd probably argue up to 20 or $30 million. There's very variations, but um, needs between that, call it SMB market versus mid market and enterprise in terms of the capabilities, the features um, that you need in order to effectively manage the logistics function of your business. And that is where why I, I come in and say the, the lightweight warehouse management uh, piece to it so that you have the, the fundamental pieces of managing SKUs, inventory, turnover, purchase orders, all of these pieces where what tends to happen, even when I started this company, I didn't bring our CTO on. I have a kind of funny story uh, on how I didn't have an early uh, tech uh, founder like day one. I did get one early, but not day one. So I was at, I was like, hey, I'm starting this business. I have to license the software. And there was about 
40 to 50% of the features and the things in that that we didn't need because that was traditionally done in our industry where you're licensed 3PL software and they create it for every type of 3PL. We were, we only needed specific things of it. And so it was frustrating when we're training new team members within our warehouse. Well, hey, we don't have to use this. You don't use that, ignore it. It's like, it leads to inefficiencies both training our team. And then when our, our brands are being onboarded, it's like, well, it's a kind of a convoluted way of, yeah, don't worry about that because we you don't have to use that in this. And, mm-hmm. and so we said, hey, let's just create what our brands need today. So if there's a brand that was doing, and I, there's nuances to it, because if you have, if you're a, a one SKU, I mean, you have like a one product and your all your distribution is direct to consumer, uh, I guess even if you had some B2B um, and you had a hundred million dollars in revenue, well, hey, maybe you don't need all of the complexities of an ERP system, but typically when you, an ERP is like the, uh, uh, the more enterprise level of like the inventory and warehouse management, like uh, industry. Um, but um, so I guess we, you probably would have to evaluate like if a lightweight in, in our sense made sense, but that's where I'd say of like, hey, the needs of these brands at that larger scale where things get more complex with their different types of SKUs, their different channels, their, their B2B, EDI distribution that they, that they require. Um, but it's different than the, than the smaller side. And that's where we really focus on um, because you don't need all these bells and whistles. At the end of the day, the teams that we partner with are these two to 10, 15, 30 person teams that are generating millions of dollars that are outsourcing pieces that are being very creative with how they get a lot done with uh with a small team and they don't have someone dedicated necessarily to supply chain at least in the earlier stage so they want to be in the software whether it's a founder or co-founder hey what orders are on hold all right we got to fix this address we have to do this and now we're out of it instead of all right i'm spending 10 hours uh in this software because it's too complex i can't understand it it's not intuitive and now it's like, well, there goes my day. Um, 100%. Well, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's been so many software that I'm like, yeah, I really need this software. And then I sign up and like many, many hours later, I haven't even gotten it going. And I'm like, man, was it really worth it? It takes more time to figure it out. So that's that's smart that you've figured that out. And um, I, I think it's interesting because so I guess just for a lot of the listeners that maybe haven't really looked into logistics or the overall um, process of it or 3PL, do you mind diving a little bit into explaining, like if you were to explain that to a five-year-old, what it is and how it functions? Yeah. So um, once your product is, is produced from a manufacturer, um, you will have it shipped either to your house or to um, a 3PL, uh, a third-party logistics fulfillment partner. So that's what we are. Um, Because fundamentally, there's two ways to ship your product to end customers is either to do it yourself out of your house or your own warehouse or to use a partner. And I guess there is a third drop shipping that is sent from the manufacturer directly to to customers. But that's a topic for a different time. So um, you you get the product. And um, then once you receive it, um, that's uh, then when inventory management um, kicks in. So actually managing where. Uh, you keep your inventory, whether it is in your house, in your basement, or in a warehouse. Like uh, for us, we have barcodes on every item within our warehouse. All of our locations are barcoded. Um, and that's important as we're managing thousands, tens of thousands of SKUs, is because now, um, whether it's a 3PL or a brand, you uh, get orders from your website. So you'll have your Shopify website, um, that's a store you own, or you might be on Amazon, but that store, uh, that customer, as you place an order uh, on their store, 
that gets sent to the back end of Shopify. Now, um, if that's uh, if you're doing it yourself, then you'll receive that order. Um, it'll say, hey, you have to pick this item, and then you decide how you want to pack it if you're doing it yourself. And so you buy some boxes from um, uh, a supplier online, and you get Box those boxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you either so there's a lot of like kind of steps to it. Um, but if you break it down, it's it's fairly straightforward. But you get boxes from a supplier, and um, in a case of a 3PL, we we keep inventory of of like 50 plus different size boxes, or they can use custom um, boxes with us. So um, when that order is placed and sent, um, you then go through that picking, packing, and then the shipping um, side to it. So once all the boxes um, packed up, then you put the label on it. Now it's time to ship it. And so if it's out of your house, um, most likely you're going to go to USPS, drop it off at their location. A quick uh, hack if any listeners are uh, doing it themselves there is uh, as you start doing a little more volume out of your house or wherever you are um you can get usps to pick up um i don't know if you if residential addresses work i'm sure there's a way that people can figure it out but um they can do that pickup there um and again if you're working with a 3pl um they do this entire process for you so we have our software that'll manage that receiving so they'll say hey we're sending you 20 boxes from our manufacturer Great. We get that. We do our inventory control. We do all, all of the extra um, kind of quality and inspection to ensure it's what the manufacturer sent to us. Then we have that the barcoding within our warehouse. So once the orders come to us, that's where, hey, we're receiving thousands of orders a day that we have um, our software guiding us of, hey, we're picking this order from this location, that location. Now we go to the pack station. And then at the pack station, if you have custom packaging, Great, the software will tell you that. If it has uh, standard packaging, it'll tell you what uh, dimension is, and there's all this kind of software algorithms going on in the background. And then it'll tell you it's going USPS, so then it'll go down the assembly line and, and then go into the USPS bin. And at the end of the day, the carriers pick it up, they bring it back to their uh, distribution facility, and then it arrives on your doorstep. Um, so hopefully that's concise enough. Yeah, so uh, main thing is when, when you're a company selling stuff, instead of you dealing with the shipping, let someone else do it for you. Is that cover most, most of the parts? And do you guys, so do you guys actually have these big trucks where you got to take it to someone else? I don't know. So, do they call it the last, the last the, mile or something the, like that? The last mile. Um, so um, we do not own our own trucks there. So we'll okay. use all of the major carriers because we ship a, uh, 70% of our orders within uh, the United States and then 30% are international, whether Canada, the UK, Australia, et cetera. Okay. Um, so they handle all those pieces to it. The last mile, so that's actually uh, the type of company that my father's uh, uh, company or the company that he owns, um, they have about 150 cars, vans of the 26 footers that do all distribution in the greater Milwaukee, Chicago, M Minneapolis uh, region. So that's what they do all around the route optimization of dropping off here, there, there, next. For us, we're doing all of that optimization within the four walls of the warehouse, and then okay. the carriers do that end delivery. So everything uh, that I talked about those last 10 minutes, um, the brands can do that themselves, or they can go to someone like us, and we'll do it all for you, and uh, you do the fun stuff on the, the sales and uh, marketing. Awesome. Okay. And then would it be – so I know there – well, I've seen videos. I'm sure most people have seen videos of some of these – automated modern warehouses where they've got these little robots that pick up trays and move them from one section to another is is that kind of how some things worked in your uh, warehouses to a certain extent or is that kind of like part of the the long-term plans and processes 
Yeah, so um, when we start talking about robotics, it's, it's actually such an interesting topic because where we get with the, the robotics and automation, like mm -hmm. um, it, it's really eye-catching in a way. We were just on in Chicago at a, a, a ProMat show that 80% uh, of the show was about robotics and automation. And um, the application for earlier stage companies, it, it's getting a lot more realistic, um, but it's still not as prevalent as maybe the media makes it seem. Um, we'll be... Um, investing in certain automation tools within our warehouse. Um, but when we start talking more about robotics, that will be a, a, a topic in the next, call it six to 18 months for us. Um, we were, uh, especially with the more personalized operations in these parts to it, it we'd call it so fairly manual. Um, we can create efficiencies through that. Um, but uh, in terms of um, investing, whether it's on the OPEX side or the cop, uh, the CAPEX side, um, that'll that'll come in the in the next few months um, as as we ultimately collect data as we move yeah. through so many different products SKUs, we essentially want that that data that we have on our end to say perfect. Here's here's our uh, kind of assembly line processes, mm -hmm. etc. This is exactly how we automate it instead of Oh well, let's build for this. Well, guess what? We don't know if it's we're going to bring on ten more apparel companies in the in the next three weeks. That could change the structure here, or if it's hey, there's going to be twenty new uh, health and beauty uh, companies that have an average of ten or twenty SKUs, and they're going to require some else. So I think for us, it's collecting all that data as we get all of, uh, those brands. How do we then further automate that and provide a more streamlined experience? Well, that makes sense. That's and that's part of the growth too. As you keep moving, adding more automation, more uh, technology and tools, then it, it'll make you even more effective and efficient. And then for those investors who are looking for additional X's to their growth, it's like, hey, <laughs> we, we got it here. That's very cool. Totally. Um, I know there's certain businesses that it, it may not have any relation and uh, feel free to let me know if I'm <laughs> way, way off my thoughts on this one, but it just kind of popped in my mind. And I know there's some businesses that, well, I guess, yeah, Airbnb, um, uh, what, what is it called? Turo, some of these other ones, they don't really have any assets. They just have the platforms that allow other people to leverage their resources to to simplify. Is there any way to do that with like Atomics or uh, 3PL where they can say, hey, look, you have warehouses, you have extra space. We can utilize that for, for you guys and pay you some type of returns and then we use that for the inventory. Is that something that potentially the tools you're, you're working on can do in the future? No, we, we don't want to. And um, I, I'm very, I have a strong thesis on this because okay. uh, th theoretically what, what you're saying, there's uh, companies that exist at a large scale, even in our industry. And I have a strong belief that it, in order to provide the, the best and the necessary customer experience of uh, being more vertically integrated um, allows that um, to be kind of the most effective value kind of creation and prop. And, and what I mean by that is um, these companies have existed in our space. They're called 4PLs where they operate as a software layer above it that will connect, like let's say we had an extra 100,000 square feet of warehouse space. They would mm -hmm. then leverage our warehouse uh, to run mm -hmm. through it. Now, so what they provide is that software. So a brand is going through them and then we're just doing the operational piece to it. But the reality of the logistics space is um, things are never perfect. Um, and you can, and so there is always a level of insight that a brand will, will need 
or want. And um, now if that software company is the one owning that relationship through the, through the software, uh, client is, is, hey, uh, this shipment isn't going out or um, this carrier, something happened here. Now that communication goes, has to go to that warehouse and then that warehouse has to figure it out and then get back to the software company and then get back to the brand. And that adds like 10 to 30% um, increase in, in overall costs to a brand. Um, and, and that's just for like the, the software piece on it. So the way um, that we look at is, hey, my customer experience team is, is in our warehouse, um, like right here behind me. I can look out here and see our pods and our micro warehouses like right out here. And we'll do that at scale, like with our teams, with the boots on the ground is because we can give that visibility in real time, in 15 minutes, direct to them. And to, to have that and, and these brands are looking for, or at least the ones that we focus on, are looking for that type of control and, and, and insight because there's, um, the, whether it's the, the, ink, the premium that you pay for that and, and um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's interesting. And, and because it's not like, it's theoretically like possible in our space, but when you really come down to the nuts and bolts of like, uh, it's called like bits and atoms. Like bits are like okay. the, so the software um, kind of bits that are uh, used like in SaaS companies, for example. And then the atoms are the physical packages and things we're moving. It's like uh, when you're dealing with both of them and, and scaling this piece, we believe for that value chain is to, to provide both. Where we're always going to own and operate our warehouses to provide that, that best experience. Now, from a scale perspective, oh, 100%, we could scale way quicker if we said hey let's go to that 4pl <laughs> software side to it but but uh for me for i mean whether it's coming from the e-commerce background or or just our, our strong opinions uh mm -hmm. we think that the own and operating and continue to, to, to scaling that way is the the best kind of value creation strategy in in our space Awesome. Well, that's good. And it's I think it's critical for people to know what they're good at, what they like and what the focus is. So let's say we've had uh, viewers who've been watching today and they're like, man, uh, Austin and Adam Logistics has exactly or sorry, Atomics <laughs> Logistics has exactly what we need. We we've been looking for someone like this. How would they get a hold of you guys? Yeah. Uh, shoot, shoot me an email. Austin at AtomicsLogistics.com. Um, our website, Atomics Logistics, any social media a uh, channel from YouTube to LinkedIn to, to Twitter. Uh, it's A-T-O-M-I-X Logistics. Um, and that's, that's why you're wearing the hat, so people know yeah, how to spell exactly. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right there. Exactly. Well, I appreciate it so much. We, we love having you today, Austin Kreins, on our, web, on our web series, the Happy Customer Channel, and we appreciate all the insight. It is a, a huge, huge concept and a big industry so we appreciate having you here of course anybody who has gained some insight and enjoys it please like and subscribe and we look forward to hearing from you guys in the future thanks so much for having me on appreciate your time